Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing The Ring. Ring was written by Koji Suzuki and was published in Japan in 1991. And the American adaptation, uh, which came out in 2002, was directed by Gore Verbinski. Yes, and we're kicking off Spooky Month with our first spooky episode of October on The Ring and its source material, and we also have an upcoming episode after this on The Thing, so we're calling it The Ring and The Thing. The Ring and The Thing. (laughs) And uh, for anyone who might be upset that we are discussing the American movie as opposed to the Japanese film, which came first, which is called Ringu, uh, don't worry, because we are covering that in a bonus episode coming out this month as well. Yes, that bonus episode is going to be on uh, Ringu, the Japanese version of The Ring, and it's also going to be on the 1950s version of The Thing called uh, The Thing from Another World. Yes. So we're actually doing the first adaptations as a bonus episode. Yes. And the secondary, but more well-known adaptations for our regular episode. Yes, we're we're, we're keeping things <laughs> uh, uh, random and all over the place. Yeah, so if you're interested, um, patrons at any level get access to our bonus episodes. So head over to Patreon and become a patron, and you can get that bonus episode, as well as a ton of other bonus content. Yes. Uh, we did look into uh, the Japanese movie, though, enough to understand that a lot of the American film that we're about to talk about borrows from that movie. Yeah. So, you know, we're not necessarily giving this movie credit over that one in any way when we discuss it, uh, just so we're all on the same page here. (laughs) Yes, yes. I mean, the, the Japanese movie really was an achievement and completely inspired this film in terms of like, uh, changing the gender of the main character. Um, like the relationship between um, the secondary character and the main character, all of those things came from the Japanese movie. The imagery of like the well and, and crawling out of it is is also from that movie. Yeah, as well as like the smeared faces and photos. Mm-hmm. So like a lot. Now I'm sure there will be differences, which yeah. I'm excited to get into in the bonus episode. But uh, yeah, so there's another little uh, little announcement we have, and that is uh, we have a new... A new co-host, so to speak. (laughs) We got a dog. Yes. Her name is Arwen. She's very sweet. We uh, just adopted her about a week ago from a shelter near us. Um, We're super excited to have her. She's just been great. We've been working on training her and just getting her adjusted to our house, to our life. You know, she watched The Ring with us. She did. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we're still figuring out if we will create her during the episodes we record. If you hear the light padding of feet around. (laughs) Or or, the jingling of her collar. Or or a subtle panting. She might be in the room with us. Uh, but yeah, we're still uh, we're, we're still figuring out her relationship to the podcast. Yeah, what what role she'll play? Yeah, in the episodes? I mean, it's up to her. You like know? An, a, a corner, an Arwin's corner, like her hot take, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> so, without further ado, let's actually get into this episode. Yes. So both versions, book and film, begin with the murder. Of an unsuspecting high school girl. Yes. We're here for teenage murder. Ian. Yes. <laughs> I mean, some of the best uh, horror movies of all time begin this way. It's it's a staple, right? Yes. Yeah. 
Uh, and the but both are a little different in the book. She is home alone trying to study and she gets this like creeping sense of dread mm-hmm. and this feeling that like something's right behind her. Right. And this yeah. panic, this like welling up panic of like not wanting to turn around. Mm-hmm. It's very atmospheric. Yeah. The movie has two teenage girls watching TV and they're they're talking to each other. And the movie kind of hints at the existence of a tape that kills you right here. Whereas the book, we don't find out anything about this until much later. Um, And they're kind of joking about it. Um, Everything's all fun and games until suddenly the TV turns on by itself. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought some of the ways that certain shots were constructed in this were really good because there's, I think like two moments when she opens the fridge And the fridge door completely obstructs your view of the hallway behind. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, she's going to close it. And something's going to be there. Yep. But no. (laughs) And then she does it again. I'm like, okay, that first one was a setup. And this is the payoff. And then no. And there's kind of just like a lot of like teasing for a while as to like where the horror is going to come from. It's very suspenseful. Yes, it's done very well. But it's a similar situation where she ends up opening the door to her bedroom and screams, right? She's she's seen something. And in the book, we actually get another uh, death that happens at the same time where there's this teenager on a motorcycle stopped at a light and then suddenly he just collapses and falls over dead. I find this really interesting in the book because this part is told from the perspective of a taxi driver who later recounts this to the main character of the story. But he's like, yeah, the guy was just there and he just fell over. And then he was like grasping at his helmet and couldn't get it off. And then he was just dead. Yeah. So like you kind of get this outsider perspective of like, what it looks like when these people die. Mm-hmm. But you don't know what it was like from their perspective, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And the the first girl who dies, um, her connection to the main character is that she is their niece. So we have this family connection. And we have in the book the character of Asakawa, um, who's a reporter. And in the movie, this is played by Rachel, Naomi yes. Watts. And they're both... Uh, kind of investigative journalists, but I would say to like varying degrees, Rachel seems more like a um, a dedicated, hardworking, kind of like tough reporter type. Mm-hmm. And Asakawa seems less competent, maybe. I mean, to some degrees, he seems like he can research things and, and do well enough there. There's kind of this whole thing hinted at in his past about like he fucked up some. Yeah, we never learned no. about that. <laughs> I was like, what was that about? Yeah. It was related to, like, the supernatural phenomenon boom that they discuss, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's it's kind of unclear, like, where his competency is at. But Rachel seems like she has her shit together more. Yeah, let's talk about the family structure and our main characters a little bit more. So Asakawa is a reporter. Um, he's married and has a very young daughter. I think she's, like, one or two years old. Yeah. He figures out that there might be a connection between the death of his niece and the death of this guy on a motorcycle that this cab driver tells him about. So he starts investigating, realizes that uh, his niece went on a trip with um, three other high schoolers, and those two also were found dead at around the same time on the same day, too. And so he has a wife and daughter, but he seems like kind of a shitty dad. Oh, he seems like a terrible father. And he keeps later on like, talking about how important his wife and kid are to him. But I'm like, hmm. I don't really believe it. Like, at one point, they are at the sister's home, who 
you know, her daughter died. Yeah. And Asakawa wants to, like, rummage around for clues. And he's being, like, extra nice and, like, taking care of the kid. As an excuse. As an excuse, which is so shitty. And his wife is like, you seem, why are you helping so much? You never help. She literally says that. Yeah. She's literally like, why are you paying so much attention to the baby and, like, helping out? This is strange. <laughs> Imagine being that type of dad. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, the evidence for him being like a decent and caring father are like not totally there, I would say. Yeah. And then you have Rachel in the film who isn't married, but she has a son mm-hmm. named Aiden. Yeah. And Aiden seems like he is troubled, right? We have a scene with the school teacher. He's drawing pictures of his dead cousin, right? Yeah. It's upsetting. Ian, what does this child remind you of? The sixth sense. Yes. I mean, just immediately, right? Which I think also draws from like The Shining. Not that... Uh, Stephen King probably wasn't the originator of, like, creepy children with supernatural powers. No. But I do think that was, like, maybe the the biggest ripple effect, right? Like, Yeah, what's with these uh, brunette boys, <laughs> Ian? The brunette boys. Yeah, the brunette boy trio, right? We've got Danny in The Shining. We've got what's-his-name in The Sixth Sense. I don't know his name. Yeah, I can't remember. And uh, Aiden in The Ring. Yeah, and here's the thing is... This feels so unnecessary. He doesn't need to be supernaturally inclined. I think you can. I I think they want to leverage that for certain plot points later on. But I don't think you need to have him start off that way. No. But it does make me wonder. I think a big reason this movie got greenlit and they had confidence to make it was because of the success of The Sixth Sense. (laughs) And uh, so, like, I, I can't. It's easy to imagine executives being like, put a creepy child in there (laughs) with like supernatural. Who's brown haired. Brown haired. He needs to be brown haired, Ian. That's essential (laughs) to the story. (laughs) I will say, though, and I didn't write his name down. The child actor who plays him is very good. Yeah, I thought he did a good job. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of like weirdly mature for his age. Mm -hmm. It's odd. He calls Rachel. He doesn't call her mom. I mean, he does sometimes, but he also calls her Rachel a lot. Yeah. And um, and at first we were like, oh, is she not his mom? And their relationship is weird. Like, he kind of has a lot of, like, freedom. Like, he walks himself to, like, the bus stop. Makes his own lunch. Makes his own lunch. Like, kind of dresses himself. And I think that would make sense if she was, like, an aunt or something who adopted him. Yeah. And maybe they don't really have a normal mother-son dynamic. So that's what I thought they were establishing at first. But then I'm like, oh, no, it is... It's her son. Yeah, they don't really get into why their dynamic is so weird other than he's just a creepy child. Yes. (laughs) Um, So we have these two main characters, right, in the book and in the movie. And they are investigating the death of their niece and trying to figure out what happened. They figure out that their niece went to a cabin with some of their friends, right? And so this main character is like, uh, if I go to that cabin, then I can maybe figure out what happened. I really like the way the movie condensed this amount of investigation. She talks to a few of the friends at like the uh, at the funeral Mm -hmm. and kind of gets a few clues. She finds a clue in the room and then it's just her looking up the uh, obituaries of the other kids who died that she was able to link to them. And then she found a photograph, but it's told very rapidly. There's not a lot of like drawn out like investigation kind of like 
scenes and, you know, piecing together clues. Yeah, the book is like, oh, he found an ID card and then he called all the families and then the ID card led to, like, the cabins. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little more It drags out quite a bit. I thought the movie was very efficient with its time here, which I appreciated. Yeah, totally agree. Um, either way, they end up going to this cabin where their niece was with their friends and are kind of, like, poking around into what's going on. And remember, in the movie... Um, we already know that there's a tape. And in fact, when Rachel is talking to like the other teenagers at the funeral, one boy, Adam Brody, <laughs> Adam uh, Brody. mentions that like, oh, it's a tape that kills people. I was shocked he wasn't more in this movie. I know. But I do know that they cut a lot of additional scenes and subplots from this film. So I wouldn't be shocked if there's like another scene with him or something okay. in the movie. Yeah, he was just in one scene. It's yeah, very, odd. very briefly. <laughs> So she goes to kind of the uh, the the main cabin to get her like room key or her cabin key, and she notices like a VHS uh, rental cabinet, and I mean both characters do Asakawa and Rachel, and they notice a tape in there that isn't in its box. Yes, big clue. Big nobody left an unboxed <laughs> tape in a in a thing. In well, the... and there's nothing written on it. No. Yeah, because like anyone who doesn't know VHS lore. <laughs> <laughs> you have the VHS. Okay, first of all, there's something called a VCR. Okay? Yes, which plays the v- yes. VHS tapes. And the VHS has a case, like a paper or plastic case that you put in it. And if it's like an officially distributed VHS, it has all the like cover art stuff, everything you would find in like a DVD. Do I need to explain DVDs as well? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure we need to even be explaining VHSs this thoroughly. Essentially, it's like one you would tape over. Yeah, but if it had like a generic like case it would just be something you could buy and you could tape whatever you wanted on tv yes i don't know what leads rachel to noticing this in the film although i guess it's the same in the book right like the 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 tape like why would she think that's a clue to anything well because the adam brody told her there's a tape that kills people oh shit you're right (laughs) thank you i forgot he mentions that to her earlier yeah i retract everything i just said (laughs) she's a great reporter asakawa though like, reads the guest book of the cabin. Yes. And the teens have written something like, oh, are you brave enough to watch it? Yes. And so he's like, did they rent any movie? He asks, like, the main office for the cabin, like, did they rent any movies? And he ends up finding this tape. Yeah. So both main characters, Asakawa and Rachel, take the tape back to the cabin, put it in and press play and watch the weird horrors that unfold. Yes. This is... A very abstract student film. (laughs) (laughs) A really pretentious. Yes. uh, David Lynchian uh, horror montage kind of movie. Probably would get an A or a B in their film class. It would do well. It would do well. It's well made. Yes. They they went to a lot of lengths to like make this movie. (laughs) I don't know if structurally uh, it has enough of a theme, but uh, in terms of how it's filmed, I think it does well. Yeah. So in the in the book, the images in the tape, I mean, we get some text on the screen appearing. I kind of forget specifically what it Something says. Something like watch until the end yeah. or else. And the images are kind of a mixture of abstract and then like real actual imagery that feels like it was like filmed. But other stuff feels like, what am I even looking at? There's also a strong 
visual motif of like black and white with like dashes of red, mm-hmm. which I found really interesting. Yeah, like a scene. There's a, a volcano erupting. Yeah, there's like this this man with this hateful face and like a, a bloody and bleeding wound. There's like red dice in a bowl or in a cup. Which I kind of loved this idea. I almost wish the movie had done this because I think it would have been very, like, striking. Uh, but, yeah, it's this combination of, like, abstract and real things, right? Yeah. But, like, nothing that's, like, super scary. I will say one of the big differences in the book is that he often, in some of these images, feels, like, mm. this emotional... Connection. Yes, Like, at one point, there's a newborn baby shown, and he feels like he's holding the baby. Yeah. Or, like, there's a lot of, like, angry-looking faces, and he feels like he's being judged. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of already a supernatural connection going on. Yeah, the tape is affecting him physically and mentally. Yeah. In the movie, the tape is also similarly abstract, but different types of images. Like, we see this beach with all these, like, dead horses on it. We see this fly. We see this woman brushing her hair in a mirror, right? We see all these kind of vague images, all kind of amounting to the same idea, which is these are all images that we later find out are related to someone's life specifically. And they give us, the more we find out about this person and their past and the story of this tape, the more each individual image makes sense. Yes, uh, then the the cap on this is after the tape is done, there is a phone call, which in the book is just silent. No one's like there's no one on the other end. But in the film is the classic. You will die in seven days. Seven days. Seven days. <laughs> but another big difference, though, between the versions is that in the book, there is a part where the tape is like, hey, if you don't want to die in seven days, just do the following. And then suddenly the tape cuts to like commercials, yeah. like real normal commercials taped from the te- television. Yeah. So like someone taped over the part that's supposed to tell you how to like stop this curse. from happening. Yeah. Yeah. I find this super interesting that the book has this. Yeah. Right. Because it, the existence and they call it in the book, they call it a charm. Yes, yeah, they keep calling it the charm. At least in the American translation, it's called a charm. I'm not sure how they would refer to it in the original Japanese that it was written in. But, you know, Asakawa knows that there's a way to not die. Like, he's immediately affected by this, right? He watches the movie. He feels what this movie is giving to him while he's watching it. He, like, vomits in the toilet. He's, like, really disturbed by this. Because he's seen the evidence that people have died. He really believes now that he has seven days to live, and he knows there's a way that he can survive. There's some kind of charm. There's something he can do, Um, but it was taped over. And we eventually find out that the teenagers watch the tape, and then as a joke, they filmed over the charm part. Yeah. And then, like, just didn't take it seriously and then obviously died themselves. They all died. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But um, I think it's interesting that the movie doesn't have this at all. So while Rachel is, like, trying to investigate this, there's no sense of surety that she's even going to be able to break the curse. Something about the film, it's not that I don't like what the book did with, like, the taping over of the solution, but something I like more i feel like it works a little bit more in the film and maybe it's just how they approached it something about rachel being like i'm gonna fight this thing yeah and like get to the root of what's going on to try to like solve this 
versus in the book, he's like, ah, there's something I need to do and I just don't know what that is. Yeah. So it always kind of feels like, okay, when's he going to run into like the solution, right? Uh, They're very similar, but there is a slight difference in kind of like what their end goal is. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I just find their characters really interesting too. I'd say Rachel is a stronger character. Yes. When you compare them. Um, I think the book is doing this on purpose though with portraying Asakawa as kind of this like scared weak person right i think it is kind of realistic if you felt like you were gonna die oh yeah like you would start to lose your shit oh for sure right? and asakawa definitely does rachel basically doesn't have a weak moment no the whole movie right i mean she has some moments where she's freaking out and screaming and she does some good scream acting good great scream <laughs> acting yes but yeah she doesn't like kind of lose it and take a back seat in the investigation like I think Asakawa ends up doing later on. So around this time, in both versions, after the main character has been exposed to the film, we are introduced to the secondary character yes. in both versions. <laughs> and Adina, these are radically different characters. <laughs> I mean, maybe not like they're both a little um, a little dirtbag kind of, but in very different ways. For sure. Uh, let's talk about the book. Uh, character first. Yes, Ryuji. Yes. Uh, so Ryuji is a friend of Asakawa's from high school. Yeah. And he is a professor. And Asakawa talks about how he's a very strong personality. And he kind of like looks up to him, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah, he's he's very nihilistic. He jokes about like, oh, if it was the end of the world, I would just like jerk off or something. Yeah. Like he kind of has this like... Bravado. Oh, yeah, I can't wait for the world to end mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like this just really nihilistic, dark kind of point of view. Yeah. And Asakawa knows that he can like trust him to talk to him about this. And he explains the whole situation. Of course, Ryuji wants to watch the film. Um, but we also find out here that Ryuji is a serial rapist. Yep. Quirky kind of goofball Ryuji, you know. Yeah. Uh, in high school confessed to Asakawa that he just like broke into a girl's uh, college dormitory and uh, raped a girl. Yep. Uh, and that he's done it like a couple other of times since then. And like Asakawa like knows this. Like yeah. he's just, he's told him up front about it. And they it. hang out. And they're just, yeah, they're, they're still buds. Like Asakawa's like, uh, I don't know. Like, I wish I wasn't friends with him or like, he's kind of weird, but he's still probably like my best friend. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And he's like, do you want to come over my house? Yeah. Where my wife and daughter will be? Yeah. Like, do you want to just come over and <laughs> hang out? Like, and this <laughs> just could not, this could have just not been part of the story. No, it had nothing to do with the no, story. It really adds nothing to the plot. Like you could maybe draw some parallels to certain themes, but it certainly didn't have to be like, the secondary character that's helping with the investigation. It just made it really hard to root for him. Yeah. And especially because I think Ryuji like ends up taking kind of more of a, an aggressive role in the plot sometimes. Yes. Like Asakawa kind of like, sometimes he doesn't really help. Like he's like, oh, no. I'm sad and like angsty. And Ryuji is kind of like, okay, we need to do this. I found this out. Let's do this. And I felt weird about it the whole time because I'm like, this is just a rapist. Yeah. Like Ryuji is doing like a lot of the legwork. And also a lot of times it feels like we're supposed to like 
Not that he's like the comedic relief, but we're supposed to think he's like a quirky oddball. Yeah. Kind of goofy guy. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. what is this? Why? Why even include this detail? I don't understand. Like, he talks about like feeling like there's kind of a darkness with him within him that comes out. And I'm like, is this going to be like a supernatural thing at all? No. Nope. <laughs> Let's talk about Noah, though, which is Rachel's ex. Yes. Um, He lives in like a grungy freight elevator studio. But a lot of square footage, Adina. <laughs> like it has that grunge aesthetic, but he pays. Uh, he has to pay a lot of money for that. That studio. <laughs> well, apartment. this was like 2003. So I don't know. It's supposed to take place in Seattle. Yeah. So I don't know how much the rents were in Seattle at this time. Maybe it hadn't been totally gentrified. Maybe it was an up and coming neighborhood. You <laughs> yeah. know, he got in early. <laughs> yeah. But he does like photography and video work, mm-hmm. which is, I think, why she goes to him. Or maybe she just goes to him because he's her ex. Right. And he definitely has like that dirtbag kind of um Kind of unshaven, yeah. kind of aloof. Yeah. I like how the movie takes its time kind of really establishing who he is to her. Yeah. Because one day he just comes over and there's kind of an interesting moment where uh, Aiden, her son, is walking to the school bus and the two of them pass each other and give each other like a weird look. Mm-hmm. And then they're just talking and then she shows him the video and he's very like... Oh, yeah, like, it's nothing. It's like a, a a student film project. Like, it's not a big deal. The phone does ring, though, in the film. Yeah. And I love that Rachel doesn't answer it. She hangs up. And then when there's a message, she just deletes it. Yeah. But he doesn't take it seriously. But, you know, at first you're like, oh, they're probably exes, right? But they don't talk about it for a while. Yeah, and there's there's, like, an uncomfortable scene where, like, this girl shows up at his house when she's there, kind of like maybe she's like his current girlfriend. Yeah. And and she kind of Rachel kind of storms out, you know, and it's 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 obvious that they have history. Yes. She scene. kind of says the whole thing about like, let's just skip to the part where we like go our separate ways where I say that you can't commit to anything and you say I'm high strung and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> wow. You memorized that really well. <laughs> I did. <laughs> it's good writing. I thought it was a good scene. It, it was a good scene. Uh, another interesting th- thing that we should mention from the movie which we kind of mentioned up top was that um when rachel takes photographs of herself after watching the movie her face is distorted because she found a picture of the four teenagers after and i loved this it was like after watching the video there were other photos before the video where they look normal and then after their faces are like smeared mm-hmm. i love how weird and kind of unsettling this is yeah and rachel takes a bunch of photos of herself and they turn out the same way yeah I think the movie does a really good job, and, you know, once again, a lot of this is from the Japanese film originally. The movie does a good job of peppering creepy elements throughout, right? Like, there's kind of, like, a slow buildup of things, kind of like a, a sense of dread kind of continuing to to build throughout the film. Yeah, I really like it. And I also think the uh, cinematography and that kind of moodiness of this film is really interesting. In fact, I feel like Twilight drew inspiration from this film. Yeah. Because Twilight also takes place in Washington. That's true. Um, in the Seattle area. Yeah, and so it's kind of this rainy, uh, bluish, tinted uh, landscape, right? You know what else that made me think of, which is like from... Oh, this is a few years later, but it makes me think of The Matrix. Oh, yeah. Whenever they're in The Matrix and everything is tinged to that, like, greenish color. Yeah. It is funny, though, how, like, a color 
palette or um, the treatment of a film's color can really leave an impression in you. Like, I, this was literally my first time watching this movie. But when I think about it, you think about it in that color In that palette. color, yeah. Same with, like, um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yes. You think of that being, like, tones of, like, ochre and, like, that kind of sepia-toned, like, palette, right? Or The Matrix, like I mentioned. Like, it's funny how that visual element can really, like, be so iconic to a film. Yeah, yeah. I kind of, I really like it. I think it works for this movie. Yeah. So in both versions, after showing the secondary character, the tape, uh, both main characters create a duplicate of the tape. Yes. And so they, they've they they've made a second one. <laughs> That's important. That's very significant. <laughs> <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, but it is kind of a part of like their process of like investigating this, right? Yeah. And let's get into the book investigation a little bit. Yeah, because the book and the movie, because the tapes are very different, the whole backstory and the investigation is totally different. Um, so Asakawa and Ryuji are kind of like matching the images from the video to real life, right? They're trying to figure out where this volcano was, where they saw this eruption. Um, they're also investigating like how the video was made. At one point, they think that someone had, like, hijacked the airwaves. Yeah, that's something we didn't mention. And something I didn't know about this movie going in is that the tape was made because they were taping something from television. You mean the book? Oh, you, you said the movie was made. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the Sorry, yeah, the, the, the tape was made. <laughs> the tape of the film and of the book. Uh, was created because uh, the kids at the cabin were taping something off television. And then the television airwaves or whatever were kind of overtaken. And this video ended up on being recorded. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. That's like such a weird and interesting origin to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I didn't have any ideas of where it did where come from. Where the tape comes from. But like, I think that's kind of like very creepy and interesting. Yeah. But eventually they realize they're like, there are these kind of my minute black scenes in between the shots, right? Like three frames of blackness kind of throughout certain scenes. And Ryuji, being the smart rapist that he is, <laughs> oh, did you <God>. do- <laughs> can't forget that, Adina. That's very important to the plot. Uh, he figures out that or at least his theory is that these are eyes blinking and that what they're watching was never recorded on an actual camera, but was somehow mentally transferred from someone's memories onto the tape. Yeah, the book kind of establishes that people with psychic abilities exist. Yes. Like the book is kind of like, oh yeah, there are people who can mentally transmit an image to a photograph psychically. Yeah. And this kind of, so then they kind of go and research. There's this professor who died, who has this whole library where he kept meticulous records of people who were suspected or proven to have some kind of psychic ability. And so they're like, oh, we'll just go try to track down whoever could have done this, who lived on this island, which is where that volcano was. So following these clues, they find, uh, they discover this this family, right, where the wife uh, had supposed psychic abilities. And 
they're they get so into the backstory here <laughs> like there's so it goes so deep into the backstory i know we're like oh uh this woman shizuko lived on this island and then one day she found she went and dove in the water for this statue that was like mystical and she was already psychic but then after the statue she was more psychic yeah i why (laughs) like why why was that necessary to add the statue element i don't know a spiritual element i guess um but then she's like oh and then she goes to the mainland and has this affair with this professor of psychology and then like between the two of them they're trying to showcase her abilities to the world and then she gets kind of exposed as a fraud and is disgraced I found this really funny and interesting because, like, this was kind of a thing that would happen and I think was kind of big in, like, the 80s and 90s. Like, and I watched a video that was on TikTok. Some show Bob Barker was, like, the host of, but they had, like, a supposed psychic on television and a guy, like, a professor there. And they were like, do your trick and we're going to see if, like, you're actually doing it. And this one was, um moving the pages of a phone book <laughs> with your mind. But the trick is that they're just blowing yeah. out their mouth to, like, move the pages. <laughs> and what they did was, to test this, they put little foam peanuts around the, the phone book. <laughs> so that if he blew, the peanuts would move. Yeah. And then suddenly he's like, oh, I just can't. Oh, I can't do it. The, the lights. The lights are creating static. <laughs> the energy of the crowd yeah. is wrong. Yeah. And so, like, th- this was, like, obviously, like, these were con men or like you know people just like faking these illusions right and i like that this book takes that idea but they're like oh but what if they are psychic but they just can't perform in front of a lot of people (laughs) (laughs) well and they imply that the the psychic energy of the crowd was so hostile that it blocked her ability to do her power it's like like, interesting it's like someone watched one of those videos of someone being disgraced publicly and they're like oh but what if like what if they are psychic or like what could be going on? Right. Yeah. It kind of makes you wonder like if the author actually believes any of this or not. I don't know. It is really interesting though. And kind of in this world that he's created where like psychic ability is sort of like, oh yeah, that's like normal. Yeah. And people are just researching it. And there's like, I mean, some people are fraud. Some people are frauds, obviously, but there are real cases out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, after she's publicly uh, defrauded, she, uh, Shizuko ends up throwing herself into the volcano. Yes. So the, vo- the, the volcano from the video has very significant, <laughs> uh, implications. But her daughter, uh, Sadako is actually even more powerful psychically than she is and ends up kind of having a life on the mainland in Tokyo and, is kind of, like kind of disappears from there and they don't exactly know what happened to her what happened to her or where she ended up but they do know that the film is from her perspective not the mom's and like they're on this island they're investigating there's a typhoon that comes and like strands them on the island for a while and uh Asakawa ends up calling like his colleague at work to help him investigate on the mainland it's a lot of Kind of weird info dumping at this time. Like at one point, they track down uh, the daughter Sadako's like whereabouts. They like found out oh she was a part of like a theater company for a while, 
and this other guy who's a friend of Asakawa's like goes to investigate and it leads nowhere. And I'm like, why are we watching a character who we hardly know investigate something that doesn't matter and is boring? Yeah, I agree. I felt like that way for a lot of this book. Like, I think the premise is so interesting, like the general idea of it, but it's missing that atmosphere of the film. For sure. Like, there's a lot of investigating in the film, right? And there's nothing that's like that outright scary throughout, but there's vibes, right? Mm -hmm. There's unsettling dreams. There's like creepy things going on, right? The smeared faces. It keeps the momentum going a bit more. It does. I do have to, you know, mention the fact that this book is a translation. Yes. I think that really does affect how you read it. And I mean, some translators are better than others. And some books, I think, just naturally translate better than others as well. But I did kind of have a hard time with the writing style of this book. Like, it just didn't really flow. And it didn't feel like it was very gripping. No, something I'm curious about if this is like a like a cultural thing with writing. I, I forgot the term. Uh, the book has, like, it gives the perspectives of multiple characters simultaneously, like an omnipresent perspective, kind of, where, like, this guy was thinking this thing, but this guy at the same time, right? Yeah. And I always find that really weird and jarring to suddenly be shifting perspectives of what different people are thinking. And, but I don't know, maybe that's more common in, like, Japanese books, for example. I don't know. But... Something about that was odd to me. And just generally, there wasn't much atmosphere to it. Yeah. It's just, here's some people going around and investigating. Yeah. And again, we have, you know, Ryuji kind of doing more of the legwork. And it feels like he's having more of the breakthroughs yes. in terms of, like, the clues as like well. Like the blinking. Yeah. And, yeah, it just feels like he's generally <laughs> the protagonist yeah he's kind of of the main character um and then they find out another clue because they're investigating like where the cabins are too because they think the location has something to do with the mystery and so they try to find out what was on the property before the cabins were there and they find out it was a sanatorium for people who had tuberculosis back when that was a thing (laughs) um so they're like okay well we need to find out what happened there and they're like there is one doctor that's like still alive from that time so we're gonna go and like interview him that is something i really liked about the book is at some point they reach a dead end with their investigation and they're like what do we do like the days are counting down and then at some point they're like wait Backtrack. Why this location? Why did this happen here? Like, why this cabin to this video? Because, like, the cabin isn't near the volcano or any of that stuff or the island. Like, why did this occur here? So that kind of, like, refocuses their investigation. Yeah. So I like that idea of them hitting a roadblock and then being like, wait a minute. Because I had a similar moment in the movie when they keep building up to this thing. And then I was like, but wait a minute. Why the cabin? Yeah. And it does answer that. But, like, I wish the characters had asked that at one point. Totally agree. So, like we said earlier, the movie investigation is totally different. So, in the movie, we have Rachel and Noah investigating the images that they find on the tape, right? And they see that there's a lighthouse on, like, this part of the film. And Rachel goes to this fancy place where there's, like, a super VHS processor. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I kind of like that the movie gets more into the technology of, like, VHS and, like, recording. Yeah. Because at one point, like, I love when she makes the duplicate of the tape. Like, the information of the tape is all scrambled. Yeah. Like, the, the VHS is, like, reading, like, nonsense. 
And what what does Noah say? Something about like the the fingerprint oh, of yeah. whatever recorded the tape like isn't there. And then we're talking about the tracking mm-hmm. where there's like an image. I, I don't know, like off on the side of the strip that like they're trying to like see what it is. Yeah. And she's also like printing photos like from the still images of the VHS. Yeah, it is really cool. And I do think there's this thread in both the book and the movie, but definitely more in the movie, I think, of just this kind of examination of technology. I mean, horror movies in general, I think, are examinations of society and societal fears, right? Yeah. And so we have this fear of technology. You know, in the beginning scene, these two girls are like, oh, you know, the the waves from the TV, like, are destroying your brain. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah, you know? Yeah. And it's funny. It's a joke. But it also is kind of about, like, this is a movie and this is a book all about technology, right? It's about um, this VHS tape. Yeah, well, I love the idea that it's it's in a lot of ways like a really old school kind of story, like a cursed item. Yeah. Right? Like you're cursed by this thing and you have to break the curse. But it's in the like a modern day format. Yes. Which is very odd. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's it's unusual, but it's a cool idea to kind of like make it. It's not modernizing it in like a cheesy way where it's like we have to appeal to the kids. Yeah. Kids like VHS <laughs> tapes now. <laughs> Gonna get the cursed TikTok like movie next. (laughs) I mean, it's like the chain letter, right? Or the chain email. Yes. Forward this to 10 people. And we'll get to that. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. I mean, it's like a virus, you know? Um, And we'll get to that too. But yeah, I find the intersection of technology here really, really interesting and thought provoking. But by, you know, investigating the VHS. And looking at these images, Rachel is able to figure out that this lighthouse is on this island. And then she finds the photo of a woman that's in the video as well named Anna, who owns like a horse farm um, and has like a tragic history. We find out she kind of went crazy. The horses started drowning themselves in the ocean. Super disturbing. Fucked up. Like ended up killing herself. Yeah. So Rachel and Noah are going to be investigating this together. I forget at what point Noah is at like a convenience store and he sees his face in the security footage and it's distorted. And he's like, he's freaked out. OK, I mean, maybe this is real and maybe I'll try to help you not die in seven days. Like, let's work <laughs> together. Yeah. So. Oh, we forgot to mention in both versions. I was just, I just realized that as I was speaking, I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. In both versions, we have the child watching this video. Yes. Yeah. The main character leaves the tape very stupidly. Unattended. Unattended. And in the book, it is the wife and the child because the wife was like, what are you doing? Like, why are you, why are you with Ryuji, who I hate <laughs> for very good reason? Not that she knows. And she knows like a tape is involved. So she's like, I watched the tape and she's like, well, yeah, I had our, our child there. Like yeah. it wasn't anything. It was just like a bunch of images. Right. So she's cursed now. And so is the kid. Yeah. Which and- is just making him even more on edge. Right. To try yeah. to find this charm. And in the film, 
uh, Rachel wakes up from a very disturbing nap to discover that Aiden is watching. A very the tape. disturbing nap. A very disturbing <laughs> like, nap. I like it. <laughs> very, I'm, very accurate, right? It is very accurate. I do like it. Yeah, but in this part of the movie, you know, she calls Noah and is like, "Our son, watch the tape." Which is such a reveal. It's a great reveal. It's a great reveal. However, Adina. If she really even suspects that she was cursed. I know. Why would she be like, well, in case anything happens to me, I better show our child's father. Yeah. The video the, the as video. well. <laughs> in case I get to curse him too. I did like that uh, after this, there's a scene with Aiden and Noah. And Noah kind of says like, do you wish I was around more? And Aiden's like, no. <laughs> I love, he's like, do you want to be around more? Yeah. What a fucking great turnaround. Oh, yeah. Give it to him. He's like, what about you? Do you want to be around? Give it to him, Yeah. (laughs) I do love, though, that immediately when you find out, I mean, like, this relationship or the idea of it was hinted at earlier when they crossed paths. And immediately after this revelation, we get a scene of them together, which was, like, really good. Yeah. So, yeah, the stakes are high now. Like, a child's life is in danger. Yes. And Aiden in the film, because he's creepy, <laughs> has like um, a kind of communication with this girl, this girl. And it's creepy. And he's drawing creepy pictures that are like premonitions. But nothing here, like a kid drawing creepy pictures. Ian. No, I know. But like, <laughs> Here's the thing. If he wasn't like if he didn't have the shining already. Like, him being exposed to the tape, if he then started to do this, I would have been like... That would be reasonable. Yeah, I'd be like, well, maybe it's because he's a kid. Because she's having visions, too. Yeah. Yeah. She's, like, kind of seeing things or having dreams. And, like, yeah, maybe he's uh, seeing things or having conversations, especially with him being younger. Maybe it affects him differently. Yeah. We didn't need him being... Creepy at the beginning. Creepy at the beginning. (laughs) It wasn't necessary at all. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Especially because it gives him an odd quality where... You look at Rachel and you look at Noah. And you're like, who is this child? Who, where did this child come from? He is like neither of them, like at all. <laughs> it's very funny. But they drop Aiden off at his aunt's house and they're like, okay, Rachel is going to go and investigate the island. And Noah is going to investigate this psychiatric facility where Anna was kept for a while to try to find her records. Uh, Rachel is on a barge going to the island and she's like, oh, a horse. <laughs> I know. I'll just put my hand in here. <laughs> just stick my hand in. The horse freaks out, breaks out of its uh, its trailer and starts like going on a rampage over the boat. And this is like a whole montage. It's really long. It is. It's like a little bit too intense. I feel like it's one of those scenes that is like exciting, but not really in the I mean, you know what's going to happen, right? Yes. You know that the horse is going to kill someone or itself. Or jump off the barge. Like, yeah. the horse has drowned themselves. I feel like it's one of those scenes that was added so that they could put in the trailer for more excitement <laughs> in the trailer, right? Like, more, like, yeah. active, uh, exciting shots, right? I do think, though... That the effect of the horse jumping into the water. It's very good and very upsetting. It's very upsetting and very well done. Yeah. Like, I don't know how much of it is, like, composited and CGI and, like, what's real. Uh, But, like, it's put together very well. Don't watch if you don't want to see a horse die. No. I mean, you don't. 
directly see it. I mean. But it gets <laughs> chopped up by the propellers of the boat, and it's, it's very sad. It is very sad. And I hate horses. I really don't like horses, and I felt bad for this horse. <laughs> <laughs> I have a grudge against horses. I'll get into it some other time. Uh, Rachel goes to the island. She ends up talking to Anna's husband, actually, uh, Richard. And he's, like, very weird and won't answer her questions about what happened to the horses and what happened to Anna. And she mentions a tape, and he gets, like, very defensive and, and like, won't speak to her anymore. Yeah, and she kind of gets, like, kicked out of the house, essentially. At one point, he's very threateningly holding a hook. Uh, <laughs> so, like, not good vibes. No. So then Rachel goes and sees, like, the island doctor, like, the one doctor who works on the island <laughs> and has a talk with her. And she finds out more about... The daughter. Yeah. Uh, Richard and Anna's daughter. Samara. Samara, thank you. And uh, the doctor's like, because Rachel is very open. She's like, I'm seeing things in my head. And the doctor's like, oh, yeah, uh, I've heard about this before. Yeah, she's like, Anna was seeing things. And she kind of implied that maybe uh, Samara was causing it. Yeah. And she's like, I don't want to say that Samara was evil, but after she left, things got a lot better on this island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying it's good that she left slash maybe died, but like it was good for us, probably. Yeah. Um. So Rachel decides after this uh, important conversation that she's going to break back into Richard's house after he was very threatening with the hook. Yes. Uh, the door is unlocked. Great idea to just walk on in. <laughs> and she finds a tape, which Noah's whole investigation into the facility doesn't really amount to anything. But he does find out that Richard stole some kind of evidence or some tape that was of significance. Which, of course, then Rachel finds at his house and watches it. Yeah. And it's just an interview with Samara. And she seems, I mean, in a lot of ways, I mean, she looks creepy, right? Like her tangled black hair is like half covering her face. Mm -hmm. And she's like in a creepy room, like hooked up to machines. But she's like, oh, no, I love mommy. And like, but daddy doesn't like me. And <laughs> daddy wants me to get rid of me, right? Yeah. And she says that she likes hurting people. Yeah. And then it won't stop. And also she doesn't sleep. Like, that's the thing that's brought up. I forgot about that. I kind of forgot about a lot about this one scene. <laughs> yeah. Other than she's like vaguely threatening, right? Yeah, she's evil, whatever. I don't know what this scene, though adds to the plot like it feels like there should be more of a revelation here i know like why did richard steal this tape yeah like was it because she was like oh he doesn't like me and wants to get rid of me but like also he wasn't the one who got rid of her so yeah. i don't know what well and like why is samara evil i know we have this story that like oh she was adopted but then they imply that actually anna had her normally but, like, I don't know. Did she make a deal with Satan? Like, did she go to, like, a possessed part of the country and, like, do some kind of ritual? I mean, to me, at this point anyway, it feels like Samara is maybe, I don't want to say a normal girl, but a girl who is given this power that she's too young to know how to control or, like, what to do with. And maybe she is, she's not evil she's just like a little girl that is like not knowing how to like control the power see i feel like the movie maybe has that angle now that's what i'm saying at this moment at this moment it feels like that could be the interpretation that she is like an innocent little girl mm -hmm. that just kind of has too much power that 
she doesn't know how to control. Yeah, I just feel like later we're like, oh, no, she's just evil for no reason. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Can you correct me? Did Anna, was it implied that she had any psychic abilities in the film? Okay, I didn't think so. Yeah. Which I don't, I don't think it's necessary at all. No. But it is interesting how they like left the island for a while and then just came back with her. And it's like, where did she come from? Yes. Yeah. And uh, Richard is there. He like whips her with a chain. Yeah. It's crazy. And then he goes upstairs and she like follows him. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? He just like slapped the shit out of you. Yeah. But she's like, what did you do to her? And we Richard walks into the bathroom where he has every home every electronic, every home appliance plugged in. (laughs) And like he has created a wild contraption. And I'm like a toaster would have done this man. Okay, yeah. first of all, a toaster would have been fine. We've seen Groundhog Day. (laughs) Secondly, this man is like a ranch guy. He owns a gun, doesn't he? Yeah. Why is he going to like this crazy length to like construct this electrocuting bathtub (laughs) suicide machine? Uh, Yeah, he kills himself. Uh, Rachel's screaming, but then Noah just shows up somehow at the same time right <laughs> you didn't buy that you didn't i mean it showed her having to get on a ferry to get to the island did yeah. he not also have to get on a ferry i guess like the timelines might not have been like exactly in sync with what we're seeing you know but... yeah they go to a horse barn and they find a little children's nook which is seemingly where samara was being kept which is very sad. Yes. But then underneath the horsey wallpaper uh, is this burn mark of this iconic tree. And Rachel recognizes the tree from the cabins. And so this brings us back to the cabins. And like you were saying earlier, I agree. And I wish they would have been like, why did this tape? Why was this tape at the cabins? Yeah. Which isn't near this island or the home. Like they don't know what the connection is with that location or that time or anything. And I like that the book forced them to go back to that question, whereas in the film, because it was around this time where I'm like, but wait, I'm like, wait, are the cabins on this island? I'm like, I don't think they are. Yeah. So why that cabin? And then it almost immediately answered my question. Yeah. I mean, it really doesn't answer it. It's just like, oh, here's a place that they went, right? Well, yeah. I mean, then you get the answer later, but at least they're kind of circling back to that location, right? Yeah. So then... Okay, so let's let's go back to the book here because we have one scene that's not super long, but has so much to unpack, to unpack <laughs> and to dissect, Adina. So in the book, they went back to um, well, they they realized that like you know the cabin's location is significant. They realized the sanatorium used to be there, and then it talks a lot about smallpox. <laughs> for a long time, Adina, it talks about smallpox, the history of smallpox, how it was vaccinated, how, oh, this man who died in this year was actually the last man to ever contract smallpox in Japan. Let's talk about it for a while. Yeah. And I'm like, what does this have to do with anything? Because <laughs> I was at this point in the book, I'm like, really, I, I was listening to it on audiobook, and I'm like, I need this to be fed into my ear holes. <laughs> Because I don't have the stamina to move my eyes across the words of this page. So they're like, here's a doctor that worked at this sanatorium or whatever. And they get there to talk to him and they immediately recognize him. He's the man from the video that had this like very ugly, angry face and a wound on his shoulder. Right. And so they're like, 
oh, hey, Doc, like, we know you. Yeah, we how's know- that wound on your shoulder? Yeah, they're being very creepy, and he's, like, visibly upset. Yeah. And they're like, tell us the story about uh, Sadako, right? We know that you have a history with Sadako. And he's like, okay, let me just tell you the entire story <laughs> in every gritty detail. Essentially, Sadako was visiting the sanatorium because her dad was there. Did he have smallpox, too? Was no, he had tuberculosis. Sorry, he had tuberculosis. <laughs> Too many diseases to keep track of. (laughs) She was there visiting and he was a doctor there. And he was like immediately like, oh, my God, she's so hot. And but like, I mean, I think she was like at least over 18 at this point. Right. Yeah. She she had been. But the way he described her was like, she's so cute. Like a little girl. Like a little girl. Like all the descriptions were. So it was still creepy in that regard. Super creepy. He tells them that he actually had smallpox at this time, but didn't know it. That's right. And started feeling bad. And actually the next day he would realize that he was sick and have to go into quarantine. But he was in kind of like the um, gestation period. This is both important and yet not important (laughs) at all. Um, Because he's like listen i felt the smallpox within me take hold and uh in impel me and force me to lead sadako out to this forest area where there's a well and then i raped her and it was the smallpox's fault wait did he re- I, I i like missed that like because there's so much layered in like two pages but like he like blamed the smallpox he literally said i would have never done this i think it was the smallpox oh my god and i'm like ah uh, yes a common side effect of smallpox, <laughs> which is uh, raping and murdering someone. Oh, my God. Why so, are men like this? Oh, God. Why do <laughs> why do men write books like this, Adina? <laughs> it gets, wait, there's so much more. You don't even, you don't even know if you don't know this book. <laughs> so he commits this rape, right? Which is what the memory from the tape was. Yeah. And then there's like this description of her laying there exposed, right? And then the doctor looking down and noticing, like, he he sees her vagina, but then he also sees testicles and that realizes that she is intersex. Yeah. And then, of course, they're like, oh, she's a man, right? And, like, all this, like, really, like, transphobic, gross, just bullshit, right? And... Why? I, I don't know, Adina. <laughs> I'm literally like speechless trying to like. What does this have to do with anything? The only thing that it relates to at all plot wise is that later on they think they thought she had a child later. Or she wanted to have a or child. She, but they were like, oh, but she wouldn't have been able to. As Like they're just immediately like, no, she wouldn't. Her biology wouldn't let her. And I'm like, all right, let's just assume everything about her immediately. Yeah. And then there's also kind of, like, thematically a lot of discussion about, like, opposites, but, like, the combination of opposites being powerful. And in her, they're like, oh, she's male and female, which makes Does her, like... Does it connect to her psychic power? I don't know. They never make that connection. I have no clue. Also, there's <laughs> this one line. It's a single line where they were talking about people with her chromosome, like, makeup or her um, situation where they were like... Oh, yeah, and people with that are always hot. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Like, it, it's this this one line where they were like, oh, yeah, women who have this are always, like, really beautiful. And I was like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> like, what's happening? Are you, like... Are you, like, revealing something about yourself here? Like, I, I don't know. I have no... Like, we find out about, like, 
first of all, we find out what, more than we need to know about smallpox immediately. <laughs> then we find out about this like awful sexual assault. Yeah. Then it's like, oh, also she was intersex. And we're going to like make a big deal about that, even though it has like no bearing on the story at all. Then it's implied that she wanted to die and she like made him kill her by projecting images into his head, basically like kind of possessing him. And they were like, probably because she was intersex. Like, what woman? Who would want to live like that? Who would want to live that life? (laughs) Like, obviously, she probably, like, just wanted to die. Also, it was, like, joked, but then retracted that maybe she wanted to be raped, too. Yeah. But that, and and of course, it was Ryuji who made that joke. And he's like, no, I'm just kidding. Of course, she wouldn't want that. Of course, she didn't want that. But she probably did want to die, though, after she was raped. So she forced him to kill her, to strangle her. And then throw her into this well. Just to reiterate, this all happens and is described. In in, like 10 pages? If that. I guess if you're (laughs) counting the smallpox part too, (laughs) then yes. But like... Even this part is like two pages. And I'm like, th- I, <laughs> I I, should have had my notes out to read because it was just like, oh, he sexually assaults her. Oh, she's intersex for some reason. Oh, she made him kill her. Oh, but she wanted him to kill. Like, <laughs> it was just one thing after the other. Yeah. I don't I don't like this at all. It is really it's just really, I mean, not being respectful respectful it's not taking this idea seriously no, at all and the whole book is just treating this idea of sexual assault as just like a joke or like just this weird element of the plot we have ryuji who's like oh yeah i rape women it's no big deal and then we have sadako just getting sexually assaulted before she's murdered for no reason right um just to have her be angry i guess that's enough to like cause her to have a vengeful spirit or whatever um and it's like Oh, all those things that happened to her, we're going to blame them on smallpox <laughs> and then just herself. Yeah, because at one point, Ryuji is like, wait, let me just get some, one thing clear. You had smallpox when you uh, sexually assaulted her, right? So was she actually the last person in Japan who had smallpox? And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Uh, yeah. Um, sorry that that was a lot of just a a lot of heavy stuff in like a very short amount of time. But that is that was our experience. That's what it's like reading this book, I guess. (laughs) So essentially, they discover that after killing her, uh, the doctor threw her body down the well. Yeah. And uh, so they know, Okay, there's a well on this property where the cabin is like in that vicinity. That's why the, the. this event happened here. We have to go back there and find the well. Yes. And this is where the movie and the book kind of come back together and are similar again, where, you know, both Rachel and Asakawa are going back to the cabins to try to find this place, right? Um, They both end up finding the well directly underneath the cabin. Rachel gets uh, pushed into the well by uh, Rogue TV. This part... Technology is literally trying to kill her. Yes. I like the visuals of this part a lot because, like... So they chop through the floor to get at the well. And then while they're, like, moving... While they're, like, uncovering the well, the TV turns on. And then water starts seeping out of the TV. I love the visuals of the nails of the floorboard... Coming up. Silently, like, raising up. And it's like, ooh, what's going to happen? Like, this is suspenseful. (laughs) But what happens is 
the floor just kind of breaks and she gets hit by a TV and falls into the well. I do like the top of the well starting to close up over oh, her though. Oh yeah. Very creepy. I think the visual of her going down the well is very realistic. Like, yeah. I mean, it looks like they someone took a dive into a well. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that, the visual of that was like very well done. I think it's a little silly as far as like, I mean, they were probably going to go down the well anyway. Anyway, was the which s- is what Asakawa does, right? Yeah, he and Ryuji are like she's down there, so they take turns actually, kind of like sending a bucket up with like mud and trying to dig and find the bones of Sadako, right? Yeah, maybe the spirit to Rachel was just like you're not working fast enough, and then just like pushes her <laughs> pushes down her in. via TV, her <laughs> one power, the control of televisions in any capacity. Uh, in the movie, though, Rachel has vision when she's down in the well, and she literally sees um, Anna, Samara's mother, taking her to the well putting a bag over her head and then throwing her in. Apparently this is one of the scenes. So a lot of scenes were cut down a lot in this film to get a PG-13 rating, which I'm kind of like, I'm shocked and not shocked that this movie's PG-13. It's so dark. But it's not gory at all. No, it's not. It's actually not that scary. Even it's more just kind of like atmospheric, atmospheric. Yes. Uh, this was one of the scenes though that they had to cut down to get that PG-13 rating. Cause apparently originally the mom, like, this scene was way more drawn out and her like hitting Samara like off the well and like kind of bludgeoning her before. Oh my God. Like, yeah, it was like way more violent. <laughs> Same with Richard's suicide. Mm. Apparently that was more visually like violent when it happened. Uh, they had to really trim things down to get that. <laughs> they worked for the PG-13. <laughs> but so Rachel kind of has this vision of Samara's body in the well and she's kind of holding it. And she, so she knows how she died. And then the body that she sees herself holding, we watch decay in real time until yeah. it's like the actual body of the girl that she's holding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, Asakawa also finds the bones of uh, Sadako and they bring them up. Um, in the movie, they actually call the police. In the book, they're like, we don't need to involve the authorities. Bag them up. <laughs> they just take the bones and they they bring it back to her family on the island, which I think is respectful. And at this point, they're like, this must have been the thing to prevent us from dying. This was, yeah. this was the charm that was taped over that we have to, like, bury her remains properly, right? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, she would want that. That has to be the thing, right? But both Asakawa and Rachel, when they find the body, they reach their time limit. It's the time that they should die, and they pass it. And so they're like, okay, well, this is obviously, we did the right thing. We yes. did it, right? Everything's fine now. Everything's fine now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, so I have to say here, we get a scene in the film Rachel and Noah seem to be, like, reconnecting here. Mm-hmm. They hold hands in the car. And then Noah's leaving her house or her apartment. And when he's leaving, he says, call me tomorrow and the day after. I love this line, Adina. And it should be, if this was in a romantic comedy mm-hmm. or a romantic drama, this would be the line. <laughs> this would be the line people quote from, like, a romantic comedy I or know, drama. I know, it right? is good, Like, yeah. call me tomorrow and the day after. Great line. It's simple. It's sincere. It gets the point across. Yes. And it like, I love it, but I also wish it was like 
in a movie where it would get more more appreciation because that could be the um you complete me you make me want to be a better man like all those other like romantic lines right yeah uh yeah i, I wrote it down because i'm like what a great line <laughs> that kind of is wasted in this movie <laughs> it's not wasted it really gets their emotional arc across yeah but I don't think it will be remembered. No, it's not what you think of when you think <laughs> of this movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> and in fact, what you think of is the scene that's coming next. Yes. And this is where the secondary character gets killed. Yes. Ryuji is in the book at his house and he starts not feeling well. He starts feeling scared and panicked. And he realizes like, oh my God, this is the time of day that a week, a week ago, ago, I watched the film, which, look, even if you thought you were in the clear, I would still be, like, clenching myself for that time. I wouldn't have just, like, forgotten. No. <laughs> um, but he's like, oh, my God, this is the time of day. And he kind of feels himself going into, like, cardiac arrest. He never really, the only thing he sees is he sees his reflection and he looks like old. Yeah. Right? Like a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. Which felt underwhelming to me. Yeah. Because I, and you probably did too, you pick up on the fact that all of the other bodies, when they're found, look horrified. And you realize that they were all facing either a mirror or glass. Mm-hmm. So you're like, oh my God, they saw something in the mirror or the glass, right? Like something horrifying. Yeah. So I like that we're getting that perspective now here. But what it it's is. It's just himself. It's just himself looking old. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. It could have been way scarier. It could have been. And the movie makes it way scarier. It makes it Ian. super scary. And this is something that is in the Japanese film, mm-hmm. I've heard. But um, we get, you know, Noah's TV turning on and the image of the well, which was the last image of the tape uh, appearing on the screen. And the the soundtrack is very good for this. And we see Samara crawling out of the well. The one detail I love is that when her head comes up from the well, her hair kind of crawls over the lip of the well. Mm. You could tell that they filmed it in reverse. They did film it in reverse. Of her going down the well and her hair slid after, but played it in reverse so the hair kind of like crawls up over the lip of the well. And it just gives it this like eerie, uncanny vibe where something's off. Yeah. And it's like her approaching the screen and there's kind of a, um, like a a flicker where a moment later she's like way closer. Yeah. And then, of course, her crawling out of the television. Oh, my God. Iconic. It's really good. Yeah. And Noah, as a character, is freaking out. It adds to, like, the scene and the atmosphere so well. Mm-hmm. And then she's... And she still, when she comes out of the TV, she still has that, like, um, pixelated... Not It's not pixels, but, like... Of, Blurry, kind of. Yeah, of the tube TV, that kind of, like, uh, gritty effect to her. Oh, man, it's so good. It's very good. He screams. And he, then he's dead. He he he's done. And Rachel <laughs> Rachel's calling. Yes, because she at that time was talking to Aiden. And she's like, Don't worry, Aiden. Everything's gonna be fine. We helped the poor girl. And he's like, Why did you help her? <laughs> Why didn't you consult me? <laughs> she never sleeps. Yeah, this is where they're like, Oh, she's just evil for no reason. Like yeah. she's just evil. And you're like, okay. I cause and that's really unfortunate because I really it's touching 
when she finds the body. Yeah. And it she's feels like, like significant. And she's so upset. And we get this line about, you know, she was in the well and she died down there. And Noah's like, how long do you think she was down there? How long could she have survived? And Rachel says seven days. Yeah. And I love that realization because it's kind of believable. Like she would have had fresh water. Yeah. Starved. Like she, she would have starved. She would have starved probably. Um, and you can tell Rachel's just so upset about this. Like this poor girl, like maybe she was creepy, but she yeah. was like mer- a child. She was left to die in the most horrific way you could ever imagine. Right. And this reveal that like, oh, she's just evil. Just kind of un- takes away from that. it undoes all of it. Yeah. And that's really a little frustrating. Yeah. I mean, I like the scene the of scene's- her crawling out of the TV. Oh, it's great. But I don't love that they're like, oh, but she's just evil. Forget about all that other stuff. Yes. <laughs> and OK, well, here, here's something, Adina, that we have to unpack, too, with Ryuji's <laughs> death. Ryuji was dating... Well, not dating. It's unclear. Ryuji had some kind of relationship with a female student. Yes. Right? Which we were very very suspicious of in the beginning. And then Asakawa comes over and she's there, you know, and she tells him about, you know, Ryuji dying and all this stuff. And she's like, oh, um, I know you think that we had a relationship, but we actually never slept together. And in fact, I'm pretty sure Ryuji is a virgin. And Asakawa's like, what? What? I don't think you know what I know. But then he's like, well, but she is a woman and she has like a certain intuition about things like this. So maybe she's right. And he considers like maybe Ryuji lied about like his like his rapes. Well, and then um, the student says like, oh, he always kind of put on an act with people like he acted like this in front of these people. He probably, like, played the scoundrel with you, right? Yeah. And Asuka was like, yeah. And she says, he was just, he wanted people to like him. And to that I say, ah, yes. The, <laughs> the way to make friends, to say that I just raped someone, and now we can hang out all the time. Yeah, you think that's cool, right? We can be best friends for years. I don't years. know whether to believe this or to be like, this is bullshit. I mean, to me... It, it, it's, like, ironic in a way because, like, only a psychopath would commit an act like that and then just confess it to someone. But similarly, a psychopath might also just lie about something like that just because they thought it was interesting. Like, they might not have committed it, right? Like, that's kind of, it, it's kind of like con artists, right? People who confess to being con artists and then you're like, well, maybe they didn't actually do that. Maybe they're lying right now. Why would yeah. I, they're admitting to being a liar? Why would I believe anything they say? Yeah. Um, but that does not change the fact that Asakawa believed him and continued to be his friend for years. Yeah. And if this was a strategy of Ryuji to be like, oh, this is how I'll make a friend. And it worked. <laughs> I just I can't with this, Ian. It's also, just so silly. What's its relevance to the story at all? No. How does this? I don't even know how thematically this ties into anything. No. Uh, it's bananas. But also, we had to mention it because it's like, what the fuck <laughs> so is ridiculous. even happening here? So ridiculous. But Asakawa and Rachel are both like, okay, we don't understand, you know, why did I not die? But this other person did. And so they're racking their brain. They're like, what did I do that they didn't do? And they both come to the realization that they made a copy of the tape and showed it to someone else. And so they realize that the only way that they can save their wife and child or their child is to have them make a copy, too, and show it to someone else. I will say 
that this makes sense. So Rachel in the film, when she has this realization, she kind of has this, there's this montage of people saying like, all she wanted was to be heard. All she wanted was like for people to like hear her, right? Yeah. Like for her to be able to speak, that kind of thing. Um, but I think this makes more sense in the book. It does. Like the whole, um, oh, do this thing and you won't die. Like that makes sense if the goal of the spirit is to spread. Yeah. Because it, it, like we were saying earlier, it's a chain letter. Yeah, it's a virus. It's send this to other people mm-hmm. so that you won't be cursed, yes. right? It's, it, you spread it to everyone. Um, and in fact, the book kind of implies that because Sadako was thrown into the well when she had smallpox, her psychic anger and will combined with the uh, latent psychic ability within smallpox to become a virus. <laughs> I, uh, okay, here's the thing is, the book at the very beginning, when Asakawa's first investigating this, before he even finds the tape, he's like, what killed these four teenagers in the same way? And he is kind of thinking it might be supernatural. But he's like, I have to temper my expectations. So he keeps thinking, like, maybe it's a virus. Yeah. Maybe they went somewhere and all contracted the same illness, right? Like, I know that sounds crazy, but I'm going to approach it from that angle. So I like in the book that he comes back to this realization, like, oh, my God, it it is a virus, basically. Yeah, yeah. Except that's all the farther that needed to go was like his original theory. The whole smallpox thing (laughs) did not have to be there to make that connection. Yeah. Like, I like that it was his original theory that was kind of true. She didn't have to die with smallpox. No, no. (laughs) It could still be a virus. Yeah. And I like the book implies that the title Ring is actually... Um, a ring of exposure, right? This ever-expanding ring of like starts off with one person and then they set, they show it to another and then it, it, it grows and grows yes. into this ring. And I love that aspect of this. And I think, you know, the movie and the book all have multiple meanings of the title, right? Because yeah. there's this idea of the virus. There's this idea of the phone call, right? The ring of the phone The ring call. of a phone, yeah. And then, of course, there's also the image of the well and like the cover uh, blocking out the light and that being the ring. Yes. So, yeah, I, I do like that a lot. I thought the so like in the film, when she makes this realization, she just takes Aiden to that um, studio and has she kind of guides his hand in like making, a, making copy. a copy. And he's like, well, but what about the person that we show this to? Right. And she's like, mm, we'll figure that out. You yeah. know, like yeah. it, this is about saving you. Right. So, like, yeah, there's kind of a general implication of, like, ooh, like, is this going to spread further? But in the book, Asakawa is, like, really contemplating this because he's like, my wife and kid don't have long. They are staying with her parents. If we go to their house, we can get her parents to watch the tape. They will do it if they know it's to save their kid, right? Yeah. And then we have a week for them to figure out who they send it to. Yeah. And And he knows it's going to spread. Yeah. He's like, I mean... Especially because, like, word will spread that, like, oh, this is actually, like, a real thing. Like, this actually will kill you if you don't do it, if you don't show it to other people. Mm -hmm. Like, the fear and the panic and people will actually die. And, like, I do think it will take over. And he's like, I'm doing this to, like, save my kids. But am I condemning, like, the The world? world? 
to like spiral into like a new plague, basically. Yeah. Uh, he's like having this whole like existential crisis. Yes, on his way to save his kids. Uh, like, I was so mixed on this book throughout, and on- honestly, like very bored for a lot of it. But I thought it really landed the ending. Oh, the ending was great. It I was loved a, it. Yes. I thought it was a great ending. Yeah. Um, and I thought it hit that idea like way harder and more in a more interesting way than like the film did. Totally agree. And I love that connection of like the ring being a ring of like infection. Right. Yes. The circle of all these people affected. Yeah, because there's no mention of any ring imagery up until this point. Yeah. In fact, I asked you, I was like, there was no ring in the tape in the book, unlike the film. And you were like, no. And I was like, well, where does the title come from then in the book? And then it's only now that he yeah, at the end. imagines that, like, you know, like the radius growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I, I rarely I feel like that's really rare for a book to suddenly recover at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Not to say that it like makes up for like its other faults or the way that it lacks. No. But, I mean, it did land the ending really well. Yeah. It's also worth noting that there are two other books in this yeah. series. I looked up their, like, plots just to kind of, like, get familiar. It gets pretty crazy. Okay. It really, like, I think this is a good, you know, story where it kind of tests, like, how willing you are how willing you are to believe certain things. And then I think from what I've read of the second and third book, it just gets way too complicated and crazy. Interesting. Because, I mean, like, the other books would have to be, like, really different if they are kind of, if they are delivering on the premise of where this book ends about this becoming, like, a growing pandemic, then that would be a totally different kind of book. And honestly, I didn't love the writing of this book, so I don't know if I would trust the writing of the sequels to be yeah. any better. Of course, there are also sequels to the movies as That's well. That's true. So this is a very large universe. It is. <laughs> uh, but I think this leads us to the the age-old question of which is better, the book or the film? The movie. The movie. It is, <laughs> it is the movie. It's funny because structurally they both work very similarly, right? And the movie's really interesting as far as like, it's creepy, right? And, like, this movie was, like, a cultural phenomenon when it came out. Like, yeah. I remember we were only, like, 10 years old when yeah. it would have come out. But, like, I remember people being like, this is the scariest fucking shit you'll ever <laughs> see. Like, it was, like, people came up to a 10-year-old, to me, and they're like, this, Shaking this is so scary. <laughs> but, like, I, I mean, like, it was so... People, like, flocked to the theaters to see it. It was, like, really culturally relevant, but it's odd because it's like it's just kind of creepy throughout. It's like an investigative film. Like it's these characters trying to like unravel this like cold case of what happened to this girl and what's going on with this tape. And there's just kind of like generally creepy stuff throughout. But it's not like a typical horror movie. No, it is very different. And it is worth mentioning, too, that like this movie helped to like popularize Japanese horror yeah. in America and it led to American remakes of other Japanese films and of course also exposed American audiences who saw the American version was like oh I want to watch the Japanese version yes right which is really cool um yeah and I just think this movie does the suspense and the atmosphere stuff well some of the plot stuff could be better could make more sense, right? Could be a tighter script. But overall, it's very, it's an experience to watch it. 
Yeah, I mean, just the fact of like, oh, this little creepy thing happened. Like, oh, her face is smeared in the photos. And then like, oh, she pulled a fly out of the videotape, right? Or this little creepy thing happened. Like, it's just enough to give it atmosphere throughout. Whereas the book is just like, okay, now we're an investigative procedural book and we're just going to get real into the details of like, what people were doing in like 1962 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And like, where did this character end up? And I'm just like, oh, okay. Okay. Like, <laughs> I really needed the audiobook for this one because I was just really having a difficult time picking this book back up. Yeah. So it's definitely movie for both of us. Yeah. Uh, let's do lightning round. Let's do lightning. Okay. First up for lightning round, Adina, I have a question to pose to you. Yeah. Did this story. Remind you of any other story that we've done for the podcast? No. <laughs> at some point, I forget at what point, we were watching the film, I think, or maybe I was reading, and I was like, this is like a scary version of The Lovely Bones. Oh my god. The story of the murder of a young girl <laughs> that people are trying to find her body that was hidden in the present day oh, while wow. she is telepathically <laughs> like reaching back out and interfering with the present events. I don't know. That just like it, it, it occurred to me at some point and I was like, this is like the lovely oh bones. Oh my God. That's really funny. Isn't it? <laughs> Instead of like, uh, like, chill girl it's like an evil spirit yes right yes if only Saoirse Ronan was more evil <laughs> in the lovely bones oh my gosh I love that uh next for lightning round I have to mention this part in the book where so uh Asakawa and Ryuji are looking for the well in this cabin property oh God, yes. right and at this point Asakawa has hours left right and he's literally losing his mind he's losing his mind he starts randomly digging a hole in the ground <laughs> instead of looking for the well right yeah and then Ryuji's like what the fuck are you doing like you need to calm down I can't deal with you when you're like this and so Asakawa lays on the ground in the grass, puts himself down in the grass and starts to remember how, oh, when I was a kid, me and my friends dug a cave into some clay, has this whole flashback and then starts laughing to himself. Yeah. And again, Ryuji's like, hey, I found it. Come on. Let's like get get your shit together. <laughs> Once again, Ryuji has to be the one doing all the work. And I he know. basically has to push Asakawa down the well. Yeah. And be like, you have to go down there <laughs> and figure this shit out. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, finally, for lightning round. Uh, so this movie is so well made. Like, the effects of uh, Samara coming out of the TV are fantastic. Like, I thought the horse scene was, like, really d well done. However, Adina, the scenes where they are back at the cabin trying to figure out where the well could be or, like, why, you, like, where they're at exactly. And you see the maple tree outside. Oh, yeah. That tree looks fake as shit. It's so fake. The view out the window looks goddamn like a poster they just taped <laughs> to the outside of the cabin. I mean, maybe they're trying to make it stylized, but it, it goes too far in that direction. It, it does not look like even remotely... I mean, a lot of the movie feels very naturalistic, right? Like, yeah. nothing feels like that stylized. So even if that was their goal, that was a mistake. <laughs> out of place. To try to do that. And then it just looks like... I like the lighting of it or something like it really just looks like they taped a printout <laughs> and it was so I'm like you did so many other things so well why does this look like garbage do and this is so better. distracting <laughs> oh my gosh 
That wraps up Lightning Round and this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And like we said, if you're interested in hearing us discuss the Japanese version, become a patron. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, X, Facebook, uh, whatever, you can do that. And uh, anything else to say, Ian? Uh, No, other than Arwen. Arwen's here. Literally, I swear to God, she has not been here at all until she just she like knew we were finishing the episode. Arwen, what did you think about the ring? Did it scare you? Yeah. Yeah, she's nodding. (laughs) This has been Arwen's corner. Yes. (laughs) Tune in next week for Arwen's thoughts on the thing. Uh, Yeah. uh, Please join our Patreon. Give us good reviews on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. And uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.